I V M. Hi folks, welcome to Takshashila podcast. Today we have uh, with us Air Vice Marshal Arjun Subramaniam, an air warrior, scholar and author. A rare combination of a military and wits and bronze combined. He's a serving Air Force flag officer, presently teaches at the National Defence College. He's written an excellent book titled India's Wars that chronicles India's military history since independence till 1971. Today we are talking about air power and its role in national security. Sir, can you tell us what do you feel about the lack of use of air power in the recent Indian government's response to the URI strikes? Yeah, uh, you know, uh, I've, I've long been fascinated with the uh, whole area of adapting air power to fourth generation warfare. And, and you know, uh, terms like fourth generation warfare, subconventional warfare, asymmetric warfare, they all belong to a similar family of conflict below a particular threshold. And uh, I was probably one of the few early researchers in the Air Force who felt that there was a need to look beyond the big battle. And when I say the big battle, you know, Air Forces generally are wired to fight large-scale operations and shape the environment and go into battle and and strike at targets deep inside enemy territory. And uh, therefore, across the world, Air Forces have found it pretty difficult to adapt to asymmetric warfare. Uh, and uh, but but having said that, uh, the last decade has seen air forces restructure and rearm and reorientate their their combat orientation uh, to tackle asymmetric warfare. And some of the typical areas that I can that I can immediately think of is that uh, air power has numerous competencies that can add value at the lower end of the spectrum of conflict. Uh, the first competency. Uh, which is in surveillance. Uh, UAVs, uh, tactical reconnaissance, these are typical roles that can add significant value to uh, to asymmetric warfare. The other area that, uh, that, that air power is actually capable, whether we use it or not, is entirely a political decision. But uh, the ability to carry out precision strikes at, at, at very distances Uh, at extremely short notices with the current kind of aircraft and weaponry that is available is is a tremendous possibility. But what we have to understand is that uh, at the lower end of the spectrum of conflict, the use of offensive air power is purely a political decision. And let me me transpose this into the recent strikes. Now, uh, there are many who say that uh, probably it could have been a combination of air strikes and uh, ground-based strikes. But what we have to understand is that in our area, the employment of offensive air power immediately signals a level of escalation. And escalation in this particular situation was not really desirable. So while the capability exists, but ultimately, I think the decision taken was absolutely right. And we've seen for ourselves that escalation control has been pretty effective. Then the other very, very important role for air power in asymmetric warfare is uh, in uh, uh, providing uh, speedy casualty evacuation for, for troops who are engaged in counterinsurgency operations. That is something that the Indian Air Force is, is practicing in plenty. Uh, and, and of course, in terrain which is, uh, which is hostile, like jungle terrain or mountainous terrain, 
uh, asymmetric warfare needs to be supported uh, by by speedy airlift of uh, uh, special forces of, of of commandos from one area to another uh, iaf's helicopter fleet is very very competent in uh, in slithering operations wherein you have special helibound operations so so well i would say the air force is currently fully enabled uh, to prosecute operations at the lower spectrum of conflict Oh, that's very nice uh, to hear. And uh, you've also written uh, about uh, the airland concept of uh, battle, the integration of how the air uh, and the land forces. So here we again come uh, to the very uh, whatever conflicting conundrum of uh, army acquiring huge amount of uh, assets uh, in the form of attack helicopters. So. Uh, uh, sir, we would like to understand as to how does that uh, dovetail with the Air Force's, uh, you know, culture or the capability or uh, between the two services, how do they, uh, you know, think of moving this forward or taking it to the next higher level? Yeah. You know, uh, one of the things, uh, here I'd like to answer this question as, not as somebody from the Indian Air Force but somebody who has been studying air power for a very long time. And uh, when you look at it, uh, we have no choice, I guess, but to employ air power in increasing numbers over the tactical battle area. And the varied roles that uh, air power has been effectively employ employed in recent times in conventional conflict over the tactical battle area are in roles like uh, tactical reconnaissance, uh, strikes against enemy uh, combat potential, um, then we have what we call shaping the battlefield which is not easily understood by everybody because shaping the battlefield actually means that you, that you are able to hit enemy forces before they come into the tactical battle area and so you're shaping the environment for, for your own forces to prosecute operations easily. So air power is used in all these roles. But what we've seen in recent times is that army aviation assets in the Indian Army have grown exponentially. And that is because there has been a realization that probably surface force commanders or the land forces want immediate impact of air power in the TBA. And hence it was felt that while the Air Force had the competencies and while there, while there has been no problem as such with the Air Force's response, uh, probably the Army feels that there is a requirement for a quicker response. And that can only happen, they feel, in case they have a large number of aviation assets under their control. So in, in that context, yes, the Army has a point of view. Uh, Army aviation has expanded. But the Air Force argument, and to my mind, which is a fairly logical one, is that in a country like ours, which is still developing, wherein defense budgets have never gone up beyond 2% of the GDP, resources are scarce, and aviation assets are probably the most expensive of assets that are procured by, an armed, by the armed forces. And therefore, what the Air Force is skeptical about is about too much of duplication of resources and competencies that I think we can ill afford. So the two areas which are still yet, you know, are, are being discussed extensively when it comes to uh, accepting 
the, uh, the, the real expansion of army aviation is this issue of resources and competence. Uh, the Air Force has been flying for almost 100 years. Army aviation in India is a relatively new concept. And therefore, I think it will take time, but you must be knowing that uh, uh, the first lot of attack helicopters that are coming in are coming into the Air Force, but subsequently they are coming into the Army. Even now, Air Force attack helicopters work directly in the tactical battle area. Attack helicopters of the Indian Air Force uh, are assigned to cores. And, and therefore, I think there is uh, there is good synergy between uh, between surface formations, between offensive formations, and the air force. But I think uh, uh, the the army aviation is is probably an irreversible is an irreversible process. It's only the pace will be dictated by when we have the resources and when there is a reconciliation of availability of competencies in plenty with army aviation. That's a good point. Speaking about resources, air power has always been a balance between quality and the number of aircraft. The Air Force for long has been asking for multi-role combat aircraft, but instead of the projected 126, we get to hear that only 36 Rafale have been ordered. How do you think Air Force is going to deal with this shortage of numbers? The projection of 126 aircraft was based on a very, very uh, calibrated analysis of, of uh, what is the pace at which the existing aircraft are going to be phased out and that these would be replaced by the Rafale in, in such a manner that uh, over a period of 8 to 10 years, the Air Force uh, aspired to reach its uh, projected combat capability of say about 42 squadrons. But uh, you know, in this, uh, I look at this as a, um, uh, you know, uh, as a, uh, as a balancing between the between guns and butter. And uh, I would be incorrect if I were to say that, if on the one hand I say that resources are a problem when it comes to expanding army aviation, on the other hand I say that resources are not an issue for procuring 126, then I think I'm, I'm being unfair. So I think that was the government's perspective saying that yes, your wish list may be for 126 aircraft, but it's way too high for us to be able to afford at this time. And therefore, how do we, how do we draw a balance between numbers and capability? And a third equation or a third player that comes into the whole thing is this renewed vigor of, about the Make in India program. And that it was felt that if we order aircraft like the MMRCA in huge numbers, it will have a an adverse impact on our own indigenous aircraft industry. Sure. And now by reducing the numbers to 36, what the government has done is it has sent a signal to the LCA project saying that we are giving you space to develop and grow. Now it's for you to deliver. So I think uh, I think overall uh, uh, we need to take this reduction in numbers with a pinch of salt. Uh, it is not optimal, but it is manageable. And uh, the kind of uh, the kind of capability that the Rafale brings onto the table uh, will certainly offset some of the uh, reduction in numbers that we're going to see and which are going to stay for some time. Sure. I think that's a that's a fair point that uh, 
because expeditionary in the indian lexicon uh, is associated with hegemony and with expansiveness and the indian strategic culture is neither hegemonist neither hegemonistic nor is it expansive in its in its uh, core philosophy and therefore uh, we are rather comfortable and i think fairly so with this term called out of area contingency operations because it purely denotes the willingness of india's strategic establishment and india's armed forces to support a request from help from the neighborhood by assigning military capability or a military force only when requested having said that uh if one looks at the composition of such a force it's only a question of semantics out of area contingency capability is 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 increasingly important not only for for force projection but also for diaspora protection i i, I mean to say uh, we just discussed about we we just discussed issues about diaspora protection uh, i'm sure you will not want to send a task force a rescue task force without military escorts so 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 out of area contingency capability is something which is which is which is very very live and i think uh, if you look at the profile of the kind of air force equipment that has come in of late you will realize that we have the capability to support such operations you have the c130 you have the c17 you have uh, helicopters like the chinook which are now coming into uh, into our inventory you have uh, the apache which is which can provide kind of uh, fire support uh, in case uh, any operations have have to be launched uh, any amphibious operations have to be launched so so yes uh, plus you have india's growing space capability which supports out of area contingency operations because what you what you must understand is that expeditionary and out of area contingency operations demand beyond line of sight communications and beyond line of sight communications is only possible when you have adequate satellite capability now with the naval satellite with with a, with, with 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 isro also being far more capable in terms of providing support uh, i think uh, the air force is well on track Uh, to support uh, fairly medium scale uh, out of area contingency operations expeditionary operations i would still be kg about using that term so i think uh, as you rightly said that it's a it's a question of uh, grammar it's a question of just semantics uh, we are doing quite a few of things without actually claiming uh, uh, in that particular phraseology that the international strategic community wants or you know accepts so thank you airways marshal subramanian for joining us on this podcast airways marshal arjun subramanian 
was here as a part of Takshashila's Bangalore Fellows Program. The Bangalore Fellows Program of Takshashila is about getting domain experts to talk about their experiences and its relevance to public policy. That's the end of this episode of Takshila Podcast. You can subscribe to our feed on SoundCloud, iTunes or Stitcher. This is me, Guru Ayer, signing off. Oh, wow.